मैनेजर के मैन ही सेट लाइक ओ देर इज अ ओपनिंग कमिंग अप इन लाइक डिट्रॉइट इट्स लाइक वुड यू बी इंटरेस्टेड इन लाइक मे बी वेन शुड आई गो हिज लाइक इन टू डेज लाइक श्योर साइन मी अप हाई माई नेम इज ऋतुजा एंड दिस इज रोटी कपड़ा और मकान वेर वी टॉक अबाउट द बेसिक्स ऑफ लाइफ फूड क्लोथ्स एंड द आइडिया ऑफ होम living in the moment exploring the possibilities to keep learning seems to be the motto of paramita's life paramita or pg as she likes to be called came to america in 2010 to work for 6 months the 6 months stretched into 6 years and now seattle is home when did you first decide to come to america or when when did that thought occur to you it didn't actually so okay. i was in infosys and my uh, manager came and he said like oh there is a opening coming up in like detroit it's like uh, would you be interested in us like maybe when should i go he's like in two days like mm. sure <laughs> sign me up and uh-huh. i told my dad that it is like for 6 months mm-hmm. it's been 6 years now have you gone back after? i have been twice so once i in 2012 and once this year do you remember the first day you landed in america oh yeah absolutely it's just was pretty vivid like it's not that far away so i came to us and i didn't know anyone when i came here so i came from i was going to detroit i came to uh, newark airport and when i came uh, when i landed they actually told me that we cannot let you in you have to be detained like downstairs i was like okay fine so i went downstairs and i was like sitting there and there is this guy next to me who was talking to his lawyer apparently his lawyer was explaining to him so you have a two choices either the, you we will deport you or we will arrest you now you have to choose what you are going i was wondering what i am doing here like <laughs> what exactly are they expecting yeah. from me like and yeah. i have a uh, connecting flight to catch in like in one hour so anyway eventually they called me up i went there they were like your visa is approved 2 years back why didn't you come for last 2 years i was like mm. i wanted to tell him that are you living under the rock there was a recession going on but no <laughs> i didn't tell him that <laughs> mm. i told him that yeah i didn't get an opportunity before this got it came here he was like great you can go now wow. i was like probably like 10 minutes for my next flight like which is like about to leave and i went there uh, my bags are the only bags which is like sitting in the counter pick them up drop the things and i went in the flight like i was the last person boarded in the flight and that's not the last time i am the last person boarded <laughs> in the flight but <laughs> i always remember that yeah what are your recollections about landing in detroit well landing in detroit and then i was like what i do from here like i have to go somewhere and i kind of don't know where i'm going but then like i had this uh, phone number of this girl who was like i'm supposed to stay with them so yeah i kind of called her and she didn't recognize me so mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like i mean somewhere i have to go she's like okay fine it's like uh, it's like 25 miles you can just find a way then she's like okay maybe you can just get a cab or something i was like oh yeah that makes sense i mm. should get a cab so i got a cab i went to the roads and the first thing I came to my mind is damn it i want to drive here <laughs> the roads are so pretty yeah. like yeah. yes and although pg was far away from all her family and loved ones she has experienced a profound sense of freedom here in the united states you know you came here alone you mm-hmm. came here to work mm-hmm. 
What do you think has been the biggest impact for you personally coming to America? Well, I mean, when I came to America, something I realized like in first few weeks that nobody cares about you. Now, you can take it as a good way, you can take it as a bad way. Like nobody is into your business, nobody asks you questions mm-hmm. about anything. And then you don't really know your neighbors. It's difficult to make friends here, mm-hmm. but when you really make friends, they actually stay with you mm-hmm. because it's like if they you both actually want to be friends. that's why you are friends that's kind i really like about america and another thing of course we have choices mm-hmm. and we don't think here that freedom is overrated it's never overrated but actually people value their freedom and they know that how to i mean that freedom is something we should should fight for and that is kind of a big learning pg grew up in calcutta as an only child growing up books played an important part in her life i have always been like curious about stuff especially machines mm-hmm. uh then uh, my mom was like a awesome singer i tried to uh, sing uh, it was pretty bad but <laughs> <laughs> i tried yeah i used to read a lot of books so uh, what kind of books did you read or do you what, do you remember like the first book oh uh, absolutely yeah. my mom said i should never never read that book until i am teenager so i did read that <laughs> i was like 9 year old uh-huh. <laughs> and but he's the author of the monkish book shit and mm. they had a pretty good amount of adult content oh, so they they should be r rated actually if it they make a movie out of it you sh- were they in english or in ah, no it's bengali like and I, i i grew up in kolkata so i speak bengali i read bengali i love bengali mm-hmm. uh, i used to write poems in bengali so that's like yes. a long time back that that's the one i remember and the, even before that we started with abul tabul so abul tabul is by shukumar rai abul tabul is like a piece of like a poem book book talks about uh, like a handkerchief it becomes like a cat now oh, they're pretty deep poems for for you to read as a child ah uh, yeah i don't i'm sure i didn't think about <laughs> yeah this so i took them very literally uh, i i still like yeah. to take them literally it's really interesting <laughs> <laughs> like if you see a handkerchief could turn into a cat like yeah, yeah. you mentioned you're an only child mm-hmm. do you think that created this relationship with books ah uh, no actually i don't know the i think the biggest reason is i used to read so much is because it used to be available because my mom is a huge reader my grandmom is a huge reader and we used to have like a huge amount of books and just mm-hmm. lying there so i can just pick up and read Reading has helped PG not only understand herself better but has also helped her understand the world around her. So you have this huge love for literature and and the arts and the humanities. Mm-hmm. Um but clearly you're an, you're an engineer, mm-hmm. right? So you you made a choice at, at some point that, at yeah. some point that you wanted to go towards science or what what led you to to become maths. an engineer maths, maths. and mm. you know there is this famous mathematician i forgot his name but he told you that you can never be a good mathematician unless you are a poet mm. and he's actually right mm. and also if you see like maths has a very deep connection with logic mm-hmm. because logic is kind of a mother of mathematics and you mm-hmm. can there are there are things you can actually prove in mathematics i actually wanted to be a mathematician that's what i always dreamt about being at certain point my mom said that's not the right way of going in the life you actually have to think about yourself and earning stuff so that's again another like a debate so i am like a very middle class family and i have always seen this uh, issues with life like where you where things you want is not always are the things you get because 
we don't have enough to sustain so i had to be like self sufficient at certain point and i have always been shy away from like even getting like a stipend from my parents mm-hmm. so i never really asked for money from them so at certain point i was like i need to support myself and so i need to be in a practical field where i can be do that growing up pg recalls spending a lot of time with her mother she has fond memories of time spent in the kitchen watching her mother cook I always love to chat with my mom. Mm-hmm. When I grew up with, like, I'm I'm also always a mommy's girl. So uh, my mom used to cook, and I used to stand there, and we used to talk about anything and everything. We used to sing along. <laughs> we used to read, uh, sell poetry. I used to tell her, like, reading things are going on, what my studies are saying. Uh, we were like very close in that way. But I have never really told her like what I think about anything. Being an only child is a unique experience, especially for a girl child in India. PG and I talked about how her parents raised her as an only child. She recalls her mother encouraging her to spread her wings, right from letting her stay in a hostel to going to a city far away from home to work to letting her have short hair. PG's father on the other hand was more cautious. Can you talk a little bit about how your parents mm-hmm. raised you? My dad wanted to raise me as a girl who has like a long hair, does all girly stuff, never wear jeans. And my mom was like what you should really think about is independence and you should need to think about yourself and you need to think about what you kind of want. So she was always supported, supportive about think before you do. And there is a lot I mean there is a lot of conflict between my mom and my dad. I have always seen that <laughs> and given I'm the only child I know that, that they are having that conflicting opinion mm. about how to do the stuff but I always admired my mom that she actually <laughs> thought that even I am a woman I still should have the freedom of thinking about myself or thinking deciding like where I want to go like I went to B college Shibpur and I went to uh, I was staying in hostel what is B college it's a Bengal engineering and science university I th- or when I went to Bangalore for job my dad didn't wanted me to go I I had actually two job offers one is uh, in Kolkata and another is in Bangalore and I wanted to take the one in Bangalore mm-hmm. and my dad wasn't super happy about it yeah but my mom was like if you think like you want to explore it you should explore it So you have very short hair now. Mm-hmm. Does your dad still make remarks about that or He does, is... but I think nowadays I don't even listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> so or maybe he has some bigger issues to sort think about now than like just my short hairs. Do you want to talk about those bigger issues? My dad is worried about I'm not getting married. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never came out to my dad. Mm-hmm. and i told my mom about mm-hmm. like my sexual orientation or whatever and yeah we decided that it might not be the best for his interest <laughs> so because he i mean they are very popular in their community and they have a different way of seeing the thing so mm-hmm. i wasn't super sure that how he is going to handle it because my point was i live in us and i'm really far from you guys and being a only child the biggest problem becomes is like how you are going to take care of your parents like mm-hmm. i always want to do that i always want to be for them whenever i can but still it's become really tricky to be actually for them so basically like uh, if i tell my dad and i didn't know that how he is going to process the whole information like what mm-hmm. he is going to do about it was your mom accepting of uh, you being gay or uh, not or, really no okay <laughs> not really we had an interesting conversation but i hope someday she will we had a conversation for about 2 hours and we never talked about it after that so mm-hmm. i actually officially formally came out to my mom this year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when i went to india so i had a feeling like my mom knows but 
As PG talked about her parents and her family, I realized that having conversations with loved ones can be so difficult. At times, it's easier to talk about the mundane things in life than to have the meaningful, heartfelt conversations. For now, PG is okay with this. As long she and her parents are a family and they can talk about just the normal things like before, she is okay. She hopes that one day her parents will come around. My biggest concern was like, what if they disown me? I mean, I would be fine, but who is going to take care of them? And mm. I really want to be the person like who is there for them for when they're old. I never want them to be like alone or I love my parents and right. I want them to know that. But I didn't know that what, what is the right thing, way to tell them that, okay, I mean, I may be gay, but I'm still me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There isn't many much difference in me, like just mm. being a gay. Do you think you might have to like uh, take that decision one day in your life where you either choose to be with someone who you love versus, you know, your duty towards your parents? Hope not. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could only hope not, but yeah, yeah we'll see like yeah. what happens. So only time can tell. Baby steps. Mm-hmm. PG believes in living in the moment, not planning too far ahead, but experiencing the joys of life. For now, she finds that in the mountains of the Pacific, in those mountains, she has found her home. What do you think of when you think about a home? Home is where your heart is. So I, I keep thinking about what, what is a home, like what is a home for me? Is this the, is the house I grew up into? I don't think so because I couldn't wait enough to just get out of it, basically. So that's why I chose like when at 17 years I went out of my house and I never spent more than two weeks after that in my house ever after that day. I keep like moving from place to place. Like before I came to Seattle, I never really stayed in a place uh, in United States more than a year. Then I came to Seattle and I actually found those mountains. Mm. And the mountains are awesome mm-hmm. they are like they are very humbling you know the biggest part about mountains is they doesn't distinguish or differentiate between anything like they doesn't care whether you are men or a woman uh, straight or gay black or white or brown or whatever it is if you want to go up there you will suffer the same no matter what it's like you have to find out a way to just get over the pain. And that's what I liked about mountain. And I, I always love mountains. Like That's what the closest thing I ever find as a home. Like home is where mountains are. And when you go up there, the happiness you get is a, like an out of the world experience. And that's why I actually like Seattle. I don't like the city. I like the mountains. Yeah. So Do you have a particular idea of a physical space that you like? For me, if I ever want to build a house, it would be like a workshop. Mm-hmm. where I can have some space to sleep. There's no room for a kitchen, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> microwave. It's optional, yeah. I think microwave works. That was Paramita Ghosh, a motorcycle-riding, mountain-climbing, math-loving woman. As part of Roti Kapdar Makan, we plan to bring to you regular book reviews. This week, we review Anita Rao Badami's Can You Hear the Nightbird Call? A novel that spans 60 years and takes us back and forth from Canada to India. The story starts before India's independence and ends with the disaster of the 1985 Air India flight to Canada. Religion and intolerance, the personal and political, weave through the lives of three women throughout this novel. 
My memory keeps getting in the way of your history is a quote from the poet Agha Shahid Ali that becomes an epigraph to Anita Rao Badami's novel Can You Hear the Night Bird Call? This is a powerful historical novel that spans Indo-Canadian history from the Komagata Maru incident in 1914 to the crash of the Air India flight in June 1985 off the Irish coast. This novel reminds us that immigrant lives are not just about individuals and families but stories of nations and communities as well. Spanning a 71-year history, this novel takes us across multiple nations and two continents to understand the intertwined stories of empire, diaspora, partition and the Khalistan movement. The story moves across four primary locations: Punjab, a village in the Punjab, Delhi, Bangalore, and Vancouver BC and it tells the story of two women Sharanjit and Leela Bhatt who met in Vancouver in a cafe owned by Sharanjit's family Sharanjit was raised in Punjab and her father Harjot had been one of the ill-fated passengers on the Komagata Maru seeking his fortune in Canada The Komagata Maru was a ship that in 1914 bought 376 passengers of indian origin to vancouver and this voyage challenged exclusionist canadian immigration laws that required immigrants to have arrived through a continuous journey a few immigrants were admitted but the ship was forced to return to india after a prolonged stay in barard inlet When they returned to Calcutta in September 1914, many on the ship were arrested as agitators by the British Imperial government and several people died in the encounter with the English. In the novel, Sharanjit's father becomes deeply depressed by the experience and finally simply disappears from his village. Sharanjit, however, is entranced by the idea of Canada and when the opportunity arises some years later, She steals her sister Kanwar's suitor from Canada, marries him, and embarks on a new life in Vancouver, BC in 1938. Her sister marries, has children, and Sharanjit hears about the impending partition of India through letters her sister writes, and she fears for their safety in the about to be formed Pakistan. When independence dawns in the subcontinent, Sharanjit loses touch with her sister's family who became refugees rumor has it that her niece nimmo might have survived the political upheaval nearly 20 years later sharanjit now known as bbg in the indian community in vancouver meets a woman named leela bhat who arrives with her family to seek a better life in canada Coincidentally, Leela has met Nimmo's husband, a cab driver in Delhi, and connects BBG back with her lost niece. Badami tells us about Leela Bhatt's life in India as well. A biracial child with a German mother and a Kannada Brahmin father, she was never accepted in her paternal grandmother's home as a true grandchild. Marriage gives Leela a sense of belonging in her husband's family and she proudly embraces her place as a member of the clan of the Kunjur Bhatt. A friendship blossoms between Sharanjit and Leela. Although both women are from India, much separates the village-raised Sharanjit who knows nothing of the new India and the more cosmopolitan Leela Bhatt. Food becomes the medium over which they bond. 
BBG brings the newly arrived Leela 30 parathas to help feed the family. A few days later, Leela goes to BBG's home to return the containers and has filled them with her cooking. Here is how they bond over roti, kapda and makan. Leela's story is, begins here. Leela's arriving at the house of Sharanjit, it's called Taj Mahal. A Sikh youth opened the carved front door when she rang the bell and led Leela through a long corridor crowded with a variety of odd objects, an elephant-shaped umbrella stand, two enormous Chinese vases with pink and green and gold decorations creeping all over them, a photograph of Queen Victoria and several more of people Leela assumed were the Singh's relatives. She followed the young man through a spacious room where more men sat on opulent couches and armchairs around a television set. She realized that they were giving a soap opera their rapt attention. In one chair lounged Lalu, the man who had accompanied BBG to Leela's home a couple of weeks ago. He was wearing a dazzling yellow shirt with black stripes and a pair of black trousers. He looked to Leela's eyes like an exotic insect. He was leaning forward and she later discovered providing a running commentary on the soap. When she got to know BBG better, Leela discovered that it had been Lalu's idea to plant the young men in front of the television. He believed there was no better way to learn English than by watching the soaps. It was how he had acquired the language himself, spending long hours in BBG's living room, his eyes fixed on the screen, and nothing, according to him, provided more information about Western society than daytime soaps. The story goes on, and BBG wants to offer her, uh, Leela, her friend, some tea, and she says, Nobody comes to this house is allowed to leave without at least a cup of tea, declared BBG. She opened the boxes that Leela had filled with food and smelled them. Oh, this smells wonderful. I've never tasted South Indian food. As if it's from some other country, Leela thought. And then as the visit ends and Leela has been served some jalebis and she's eating them, she was thinking about the food and she starts to laugh. And BB says, is something funny? In the time it had taken Leela to eat one of the sticky sweets, the older woman had consumed three. No, I was just thinking I might be in a house in Punjab, Leela said, waving her hand around. But this is Punjab, BBG pointed out. Inside my home, it will always be Punjab. The novel moves on from here to describe BBG's reunion with her niece, her decision to adopt her niece's son, Jasbir, as her own and to raise him in Vancouver, and the challenges that Jasbir faces with racism, the educational system, and cultural isolation. Intertwined with all of this are the rising challenges six face as minorities in India and the emergence of the Khalistan movement as a transnational one with support among some Sikhs in Vancouver. Eventually, the novel weaves the tragic history of Sharanjit's family with these politics. These political events also divide Leela and Sharanjit. What happens to them? I won't do any plot spoilers, but I will tell you that this novel should be on your must-read list. It is one of the few diasporic novels that engages the history of the Indian diaspora in Canada while asking us to question what is national identity, what is the place of minorities in a nation, and what happens when religious radicalism leads to violence. These are questions we should all be thinking about in the current state of our world.
Dr. Nalini Iyer is a professor of English at Seattle University. She reviewed Can You Hear the Nightbird Call by Anita Rao Badami. Next time on Roti Kaprar Makan, we talk to Jonathan Kumar, an entrepreneur, a storyteller, and a leader who is passionate about helping end homelessness. I hope you'll join us. Roti Kapda Ramakan is produced by Studio Disha. Theme music by Mansoor Ahmed of Resonate Productions. Our podcast is brand new. Subscribe on iTunes and like us on Facebook. If you have any story ideas or comments, email us at rkmpodcast.gmail.com. I am Ritulja and thanks for listening to Roti Kapda Ramakan.